Well, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, if you will. We're continuing in our Heroes series this morning. And we are titling the sermon today, A Dose of Reality. Have you had a recent dose of reality? I have. I've had too many to mention. I'll give you a long list here in a minute. But often, let me just survey the crowd real briefly. When we say a dose of reality, is that a pejorative? Or is it just a compliment and a feel-good moment? Yeah, mixed feelings. Mixed feelings. I had a dose of reality multiple times this week. And uh, my wife and I are preparing. She's not aware of this. I can say this because she's not in the room. I've been looking at retirement communities. <laughs> As uh, my youngest just graduated from high school. And... Uh, it is a severe dose of reality when suddenly you realize the youngest chick is uh, ready to be on her own. Literally, she won an award for a class called On Your Own. So I'm going to keep reminding her, you're on your own. You're on your own, own hero, you award winner. So as we look at this idea of a dose of reality, a question that I have for you, and again, turn to Hebrews 11, that's where we will be for a majority. We're going to be all through Scripture today, but primarily in Hebrews 11. My question to you is, what is reality? What is reality? What is your reality? Is reality subjective? Or is reality absolute? Favorite band of mine that came out of the punk genre uh, in the early 80s, late 70s, had a great song early on when they were more punk than they were mainstream, and, and the song was called Absolute Reality. Loved that song. And now that a bunch of 50-year-olds try to gather in places around, around the world when these guys perform, we're all, yeah, 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 go, yeah. And it's really pathetic. <laughs> but these guys are like in their 60s and they're killing it. I, I can't believe the energy. But they still bring the same passion and the whole crowd reacts to that song with the same passion. Because the words are so meaningful. They're so strong. There's so much realness in the concepts that they make you comprehend and wrestle with? How do we begin to understand how to answer that question? Well, we've got to pick a lane, so let's start with something relevant, shall we? If we're talking about reality, then we have to examine what is reality? How do we live in reality? How does reality fit with Scripture? How does reality fit with this thing that's over here on my left? We're doing a Heroes uh, series uh, throughout the summer. We're doing this as part of our evangelism and outreach. You will hear about it next Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll be launching our Build campaign, and we're going to be having a huge uh, uh, agape feast, and we are hoping next Sunday to have a dedication service for something very special that will help us move into the next thing that the, that the Lord has for us. So please, make every intention to be here. Do not miss out. Because you're going to hear a lot of exciting things, and you're going to be uh, put into an, an opportunity to say, what will be the reality of where our church is at the end of August with what God is doing here? You get to be part of that. And so we're going to work on, on those levels and on those ideas. But as we consider what is reality, we think about this, this statement I can do all things. Let's just start there. I can do all things. 
This is something that showed up as a favorite verse of probably 40% of the Berean graduates on, uh, on Friday night. Was that Friday night? I can't even keep my day straight. Yes, Friday night. Yes, and, and it's on shoes, and it's on t-shirts. It's everywhere. Well, what is the reality of that? I wish we could be there when our young people apply to a college and receive a rejection notice in the mail saying, you have been rejected. Wait, that's not my reality. My reality is I, I was always told you, I can do all things. I wish we could be there when they face their first bad interview. Wait, that's not my reality. I was told I can do all things. My wife was reading this past week in the book of Psalms where there's just a beautiful sense of the, the yearning need uh, in, in desperation for God to provide and take care. And there's promises listed in this, I think it was Psalm 32. And then I shot her with a dose of reality. And I said, so how does that play out for the Christian church in Western Africa right now? where they were summarily executed. How does that work? Did they get to claim those promises? Where's their reality? Wow. Pastor, are you really going to talk about such things? When we speak in terms of overinflated and misconstrued things and we say that's reality, we do ourselves a huge disservice. Paul included something else in that statement. I can do all things what? Through Christ. You see, when we just say the first part of that statement, I can do all things, who is the subject? I. So that, that is not helping anybody. That's a great motivational speech. That's the kitten hanging on to the, 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 the edge of the windowsill and, and the big word saying, I can do all things. And it's up in everybody's office or on people's wallpaper, right? Sorry if I offended you for kitten lovers out there. I did. thought that was an ambivalent statement, but I'm sensing a certain tension in the room when I mention kittens. Versus what Paul says, who did incredible things. His reality? His reality was to go through the Mediterranean all the way to Rome from Israel and see thousands come to the Lord. His reality was to basically come back from the dead in Lystra. His reality was to be imprisoned and yet set free supernaturally. His reality, and I can keep going on and on. And so much so that his reality wasn't just to establish those churches, but he went back later and he helped establish leadership and do discipleship and get, get in those churches so they're sustainable. What is he saying? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's a great statement. And that's what we're going to look at today in comparison and contrast with kind of this insipid letdown that we keep putting out to our society that we can do all things. Let me help you out. God does not intend for you to do all things. He has things mapped out for you and I to do. And when we partner with Him, 
We can do those things Paul, Paul did. Amen? So how does this compare? I'm, I'm using a comparison contrast uh, with, uh, and this is again part of just trying to speak to our culture. Uh, I'm using the recent release of uh, an Avengers movie, a comic book movie, and it has everything to do with this little toy right here. And I always enjoy doing this. It's just like... It's just so exciting. It just, that's my reality. Is I put that on my hand and I feel like I can do all things. I actually, I actually had that at a movie theater and I tried to pick up my drink and I couldn't even pick up my drink. That was my reality. This thing's pointless as far as usability. But the concept behind this is that each of these gems or stones holds a certain power. And so this week, we're going to translate out of the different characters, and we're going to talk about the different stones and what they represent because they all connect to who God is and how He relates in, in His economy, but in our lives. Today, we start with the reality stone and talking about reality. And so uh, we're going to start with, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That is a huge verse in our lives. It's a descriptor for the definition. That was a bit redundant. It is a descriptor for faith. This is how we understand what faith is. And yet when we want to talk about reality, those seems like those are diametrically opposed terms. Let me read the verse again. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Do you hear the tension? Assurance and hoped. The conviction of things not seen. This is God's definition of faith. Now how do we connect that to reality? There's this great scene in one of these movies where the arch-villain Thanos arrives on his old home city or home, home planet and the part with the blue skies is what it used to look like. And the part that looks rather destroyed and, and, and broken down is, is kind of the real-time situation. And he uses the reality stone to show another character what it actually used to look like. He can alter reality with the power of the stone. He can alter reality with the power of the stone. I think we would love to have that power. I want you just to have a moment. I'm going to give you a moment, and I want you to think right now, if you could change one thing in your reality, if you could wield that stone, and you could just snap and make reality change, what's the one thing you would change in your reality? Now I want you to think, how much does that have to do with the regret of a bad choice? How much does that have to do with your economic position? How much does that have to do with a, a bad relationship? How much does that have to do with the church? How much does that have to do with helping others? How much does that have to do with God's economy? You see, how we're wired is when I presented that question to you, we are wired to think instantly of our own problems. Wisdom would dictate, and don't confuse what I'm saying, 
wisdom would dictate that surveying a general group, the majority of us would instantly go to our own issues. If we could change anything, this is what we would change. Rather than doing something for someone else, let me tell you what heroic, heroic Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame kind of decisions when it comes to reality looks like. My reality this week, let me run you through it just real quickly, just so we get a, a larger picture. If I'm going to be so accusatory this morning, let me tell you what just a taste of my week was like. Uh, talking and praying with a friend who is dying from cancer, whose family is gathered at his bed currently, and hospice has been called in. Talking with and counseling three couples whose marriage is crumbling. A graduation where graduating seniors were told they could do anything they set their minds to. A five and a half hour meeting where a board of directors were blessed with the opportunity to carefully manage how to spend a $300,000 gift. My barista put two pumps of raspberry in my coffee, not one. <laughs> Figuring out I have misspelled raspberry my entire life. I read that our president isn't fit to serve. I read that the speaker of our house was drunk in an interview. I read that we only have 10 years to live if we don't change the climate. I read countless scores of reports of abuse, scandal, genocide, failed schools, failed government, failed marriages, countless suicide, countless murders. That was my reality this week. What was yours? What's interesting is, currently what's going on in Napa right now, in reality, is that this week, or this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, more than 120,000 people will descend upon Napa's Bottle Rock Festival and spend in the neighborhood of $500 per person. All the while, 10% of the children of Napa are categorized as food insecure. You cannot turn on the TV, you, you cannot get on the internet, you cannot hear any kind of a political debate without hearing about all the abuses and, and all the needs and all the challenges, and yet I would, I would defy those that talk and talk and bloviate and bloviate, what are you actually doing with your own money to change what's going on, to change someone's reality? We can talk about all of those things and be wishful, but it's never going to change someone's reality if we don't do something about it, which means sacrifice. That's what a hero does. That's what Jesus did. So let me help you a little bit with this idea of what the reality stone does. You know, I already explained it has the power to manipulate the appearance of the world. It has power to change the course of history. And then that takes us back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I want to talk about a stone. The world wants to talk about a stone that fits in a funky bronze glove. But the reality is it is through faith that we are able to see insurmountable problems in reality changed in a realistic and tangible way. Amen? Not because I can do all things, but because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? That's a big mumble. I'm giving you something here. We should respond. Faith versus reality. 
All right, pull out your bulletins, pull out your notes, and start writing because this is good stuff. Our world isn't as it should be. When it comes to the idea of faith versus reality, and I've set that up beautifully with the juxtaposition of Hebrews 11.1 with talking about what is the reality of the world that we live in and how can we change it. Not manipulate it, not mask it, but change it. Our world isn't as it should be. Romans 8, 22 through 23. You can go there in your scripture or just follow along. And some of these passages that I'm going to give you, uh, I'm giving you a shortened, truncated section. I would actually recommend 17 through 27. But for time's sake, we're going to give you the power punch of, of what this is actually saying. Romans 8, y'all should make that a, a, a highlighted area in your scripture. It's one of the best passages in the entire New Testament. But this is the answer about the reality of our world, and our world isn't as it should be. It's connected to the fall. In Romans 8, Paul specifically gives us some in-depth understanding to this problem. He says this, starting in verse well, I'll start in 18 and we'll go to 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is re being revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to what? To corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Just a beautiful statement on the reality of what the world is. And Paul says, we have hope because we have faith. We have hope because Jesus is who Jesus says he is. There is a reality to who Jesus is, and therefore he has promised what? A new heaven, a new earth, a new body. Amen? So we look forward to that. And it is that future glory that helps us in the reality of a broken world. One of the best things you can do, brothers and sisters, is stop with this expectation that this is going to be great. It's not going to be great. But when you get those great moments, enjoy them. Enjoy them. That's called grace. It's called grace. Our future requires faith in a better country. What am I talking about here? Matthew 16, 16 through 17. Jesus answers or asks the question of his disciples in the midst of a discourse and a challenging conversation about who he is. And he turns to the disciples and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter, being Peter, says what? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say about his response? Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has what? Not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You cannot recognize Jesus for who he is unless that understanding, right? The conviction of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1, 
You cannot get there unless that comes from heaven. When my priority of focus is not on the realities here or the realities of my day, but the realities that are unseen yet, the promises of God that are being lived out here, but the promise of a future glory, it completely reshapes my reality. Oh, what a powerful subject. What a powerful subject. And so Jesus recognizes, Peter, blessed are you for saying this because this didn't come from you. He compliments him to the highest level saying, you are, you are searching out to your father. You are looking for the wisdom. When you were approached with the idea of what's the reality of who's in front of me, God gave that to you. Blessed are you, Peter. Our future requires what? Faith in a better country. We want to have an ability to reshape reality in our lives and the lives around us. Set our focus on the better country, and that will realign how our reality looks. Our dependence on what is seen versus unseen. The scripture that I list here is one of my favorites. And in 2 Corinthians 4.18, and Paul says this in, in, in reference to suffering and, and the reality of what their choices in life have brought upon themselves to serve Christ. He says, as we look not to the things that are what? That are seen, Right? But to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love that picture that I put up for you. Where Thanos is having this conversation with Dr. Strange. And, and Dr. Strange is just nailing him to the wall for how diabolical and how messed up he is. But here's why... This particular person in this movie series makes the perfect villain. Do you realize that every massive villain in history thought they were doing right? That's a mind blower. I heard that about eight or nine years ago. They are convinced that what they are doing is right. You talk about altered reality. And so what does Thanos do in that moment? He activates the reality stone and he shows him, this is what it used to look like. You think I'm nuts? Look at this. And he says, I said this was going to happen. And then he pulls back that power and you go back to all the destruction ma'am. And he says, he's basically saying, see? And Dr. Strange comes back with this really beautiful, sarcastic wit and says, great, does that make you a prophet? And Thanos says, no, just a realist. Just a realist. What is Paul saying? If faith is going to win in shaping our reality, we have to focus on the unseen. We have to focus on the unseen, not what is seen. The enemy uses what is seen in the tragedy all around us to get us off focus of Jesus Christ. And later, the, the culminating verse in this whole series is actually not in chapter 11, it's in chapter 12 where it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes, focus on the author and perfecter. Achoo! I have never sneezed in all the years of preaching. What is going on? I took my Flonase too. There's my reality. There's these unseen pollens attacking me right now. Does faith shape our reality or does reality shape our faith? 
Don't you love these kind of syllogisms? Right? My philosophy major over here, when I formed it like, like an Alex Trebek kind of question, George's head popped up. Hmm? A little groundhog coming out of the... Hmm? Does faith shape our reality or does reality shape our faith? Let me hand you this. Hebrews 11.6. In this description about faith, you see it in verse 1, but now you're, you're seeing the impetus of faith. Did you know there is a reality to the fact that you and I can please God? In some denominations, that is heretical for me to say that. In some denominations, what is preached is the continual understanding of how wretched I am so that I can truly appreciate the glory of God. And there is such a separation between us and, and there's nothing worthy of myself that God would ever find me worthy of anything. I understand how they got there. But I'm wondering if they would be willing to preach that you and I can please God. Now, I already gave you a passage of Scripture that speaks to this issue. What was it? Where was this demonstrated? And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Where did we see this already? I'm a horrible teacher. The big guy, kind of hairy, we think, fished a lot, impulsive, declares Jesus is what? Peter, you win. You get to do our accounting for a month. Oh, wait, she already does. Peter, what were Christ's words? Hey, Peter, you impulsive. Bozo, you Meshuggah. He said, blessed are you, Peter. And he uses his full name. Every part of you, Peter, is blessed. Because you just exercised faith in the unseen. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe, what? That he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Does faith shape our reality or does reality shape our faith? I don't know that I've answered that question there. But let me help you a little bit. We can change the appearance of the world around us. We can do that without faith. Let's be honest. We can do that without faith. We could go next week and we could use some of our own resources to help a family that's, that's in need. Anybody can do that. That doesn't require faith. But we can also turn to the Lord and say, God, magnify where you would lead us. Tell us where to go. Tell us who's crying out. <coughs> that requires faith. And on times where I've encouraged people to practice that, Ooh, I feel the resistance. It's like, wait a minute, you're, you're asking me to do something to, to go after that which is unseen. I'm more stable with reality. I know somebody who really needs help. I can just do that. And maybe that's what's supposed to happen. 
But where is the enjoyment of really seeing God work in power beyond what I can do? God is working out a story of faith through each of His children. Amen? So, does faith shape our reality? Yes. Does our reality shape our faith? Yes. There's your answer. It's very philosophical. So let's get down to how we break out our, our series. We, we uh, and by the way, you English majors in the room can help me out. I never remember. You're going to try to help me. I'm going to forget it again. I've researched this ad nauseum. Uh, I don't know if it's an acrostic or it's a uh, something else. But we're taking the word hero and we're breaking it into five words. What, what is it? An anagram? So I'm going to think Teddy Grahams, which I really liked eating when I was a kid, and how much I enjoy doing this. So we're going to use this as an anagram, honorable. And so what we're doing is we're taking the text, turn back to Hebrews 11, if you will, and we're going to look at <clears throat> a couple key heroes here. And as we look at this, let me bring up Enoch simply because the Scripture brings up Enoch. Last week we already talked about Abel, so let's pick it up in verse 5, shall we? Number one, he walked with God. Enoch was known to walk with God. Kind of a, a, a unique thing that was spoken about with Adam and Eve. That they would walk with God. We don't know if this is spiritually or if actually there was kind of a, an interaction with who God was. This is pre-flood. And so Enoch had that, that connection of being pre-flood uh, patriarchal history. And God worked supernaturally in those times. He does still today, but he worked a little bit differently there. So we don't really know necessarily what that means. Did he physically walk with God? Did he spiritually? What we can take is that God was pleased with him. He pleased God. As a matter of fact, he pleased God so much, he did not taste death. Wow. Really? Well, look at it. Verse 5. Let me put it up here. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. You know, one of the promises that's listed here is that it is impossible to please God without faith, but it's also said he will reward those who seek him. Now, why Enoch gets to escape the curse of death is a very unique situation. We don't really understand how that happens. Elijah has the same thing happen. We don't know why God does that, but it is a stipulation of honor. Does that make sense? It's, a stipula it's not so much that it happened, and, and it's so unique that it happened. It's he was honored this way because he lived honorably with God. Is this something you and I should shoot for? I don't know about the, like, I'm not going to die thing. I don't really care about it because there's, I got anywhere from today until probably five years from now based off of my arteries <laughs> and donuts and coffee. The idea is that 
Because he pleased God, he was what? He was rewarded. There was honor with how he lived before God. And he gets a story. He gets included in the pantheon of biblical heroes. And he is honored because of his level of relationship with his God. This shapes our reality. Live honorably before God. Equipped. Noah. Well, what's so... Um, What's so exciting about Noah? Hebrews eleven seven, But he's equipped with reverent fear is what it says. This is a lost art in our day. In our reality, some of you are noticing that we actually have some live footage of Noah making the boat. Um, yes. He's equipped with reverent fear. This is a lost art today, brothers and sisters. Today, we're more fearful about being satisfied. We're more fearful about our financial position. We're more fearful about what the future holds for our kids, our grandkids. We're more fearful about what political system is in play. We're more fearful about our own accolades, how we are accepted or how we are rejected. That's the reality that we live in. What if we could just activate that old reality stone and realign everything that drives us when it comes to reality? And we could simply be equipped so that God does heroic things through us. What was Noah's reality? There's going to be a flood. What, what, what is a flood? You're going to have to take in the two, two kinds of every animal. What, how am I going to get all those animals? How, how many of you feel the pressure of accomplishing what is expected of you? you? Think about that in Noah's terms. What was his reality? He couldn't do all things. It required God working through him. What did he do? He simply obeyed with reverent fear. We want to shape our reality from a heavenly perspective. Brothers and sisters, start with what Noah did. Operating in a sense of reverent fear before God. He did so with faith. He did so with a warning. In other words, God gave him a stipulation. He talked to him. He shared with him, Noah, this is what's going to happen. I've chosen you to do this. What do we do in the reality of our own lives when God says something and, and we're listening to it and, and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to us? Do we say, oh, that doesn't really fit with my reality? Realistically speaking, I don't see myself doing that. And yet, how does anything get done in the kingdom? Because individuals respond just like Noah when they hear a warning, when they hear the Lord telling them, move, go in this direction. When they respond, God's work gets done and gets done in faith and that shapes reality. He had the resources because God gave him the resources. So it says in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, without or by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. 
in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by what? By faith. We're going to choose Jesus. Just in case you're wondering, that's not an actual likeness. I just Googled Jesus, and that's what I got. I think that guy's name is Dwight, and he works for the city. Resilient. What is part of being heroic in a biblical sense? Being resilient. I can think of nobody who demonstrated this, this accolade, this descriptor, this character trait, this requirement better than Jesus Christ. And while we look through Hebrews 11, we see all these individuals and men, we need to start going back to Jesus Christ. We need to start looking at Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because the conclusion on the matter is in 12, 1, 2 through 4, and it says simply, let me, let me go ahead and get to it, he suffered, he did this for others, and here you go. It says Jesus did what? He endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. He did this for others. So what should be our response as we look to him? By the way, earlier on in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, we should focus on them. No, the author says, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, speaking to all of these individuals listed in Hebrews 11, he says those are stories of how God worked through those people. They may have done heroic things, but they can't do them in and of themselves. They did this because God worked through them, and you know them. And so therefore, be encouraged that these same things can be part of your what? Your reality. These same things can be part of your reality, not because you're trying to draw on the power of Enoch or David or Samson or Sarah, the writer gives all of these examples of these cloud of witnesses because we can relate to them. But he says here at the conclusion of the matter, fix your eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus was resilient, not for himself, but for you and I. And he changed our reality. And he does so in an active process day in, day out. The last one, optimist. Me! Not just me. Me. Right? Me. We get to be optimists. Let me take you back to 2 Corinthians if I can. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 14 says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. There is that heavenly perspective. There is the promise that is given to us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead will do the same in us who remain faithful, who operate by faith. This changes our reality. What is the reality of I can do all things? By the way, that makes me an optimist. How many of you would have put that emoji up for 
optimism. That's the best I could think of. It's so generic or abstract. It's Plus, I couldn't put a picture of myself. It just says the wrong message. I promised you that we would talk about the pantheon of witnesses. This is Fanny Crosby. Early to mid-19th century, Fanny was born blind. And she was within a hair's breadth of being relegated into the state system for children and not be given the opportunity to use her gifts. Her reality changed when God worked through an individual, a phrenologist, oddly enough. If you know what a phrenologist is, it's the person who would walk up to Chuck over here and feel his head and feel all the bumps and the smoothness and the, the iterations and say and proclaim, Chuck is brilliant. It was through a visit to the school where the headmaster continually was cruel to Fanny Crosby as Fanny would write out poems according to the gift that God had given her in faith. Being blind, she would write incredible, incredible poems, but she was discouraged from doing so. As a matter of fact, she was punished for doing so. And God introduced a guy who's, we kind of look back and we say, that was kind of loopy medicine. But God can use loopy medicine. And because of this expert's advice, she was set free to use her giftedness. Franny Crosby, being fully blind, penned over 8,000 hymns. We have a litany of young people that struggle with their identity, with self-esteem, with a feeling of purpose, intentionality. They struggle with their own insecurities. They struggle with things that the reality of the world puts upon them. By the way, I say young people. It's probably most of us. There was no way Fanny Crosby should have survived. There was no way she ever should have accomplished what she accomplished. If asked, I don't know that she ever would have said, I can do all these things. But it was because of Christ and her undaunting faith that that in turn changed her reality and the heroic actions, her ability to shape Words that so encourage and lift up generation upon generation upon generation. Here's an individual from over 150 years ago, and we're talking about her now. Actually, almost 200 years ago. Did I get that right? Yeah, almost 200 years ago, 1820 to 2020. What a hero. Her reality didn't look very good. But she refused to let her blindness, in a day and age where that was a death sentence, she refused to let that shape her thinking because her faith was steadfast in those things that were, and pun intended, unseen. In closing today, I have a a statement of reality for you, the defining moment this morning. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
That is our spiritual reality today that we need to wrestle with. Faith requires a heavenly priority. Faith requires conviction in the unseen. And faith rewards its practitioners. That truly is the dose of your reality. What else did I read this past week? <laughs> I read about two idiots in Louisiana that were sitting at a drawbridge and got the beautiful idea that they were going to dukes of hazard this thing. And so they actually pulled the gate up, drove a little bit up the ramp, and everybody's watching, and then they back their car up and then just floor it. They didn't even come close, and now they're dead. I can do all things. Folks, we live in a world where we blur reality all the time. We see things in the media, we hear about things, and we say, I can do this, I can do that. Here's the reality, there are many things we cannot do, and they will cost us severely. In some ways, they'll kill us. But we don't want to talk about those things. My friends, the takeaway today is that faith can shape not just my reality, it can shape others' reality. And that is heroic. Let me close in prayer. Father, this morning we come to you with a sense of graciousness, with a sense of hope, with a sense of looking at the example of someone like Fanny Crosby or Enoch or Noah and know that there is a pursuit of what it means to live according to faith and faith that shapes the reality of things to come and that it is truly you who has the ability to shape our realities or change our realities therefore we should trust in you and what you are doing let that shape our thinking let it shape our actions let it shape our motivations this week let us not be a people that are discouraged because we are entrenched in a broken world. Let us be a people that are quickened because we have a Lord and Savior that has changed the world and is continuing to do so in our own lives and through us for others. Thank you, God. Thank you for this reality check. We pray these things according to your will in the name of Jesus Christ and according to the power of the Spirit. Amen.